Welcome to another episode of the Eye on Security podcast. I am your host, Luke McNamara, Principal Analyst here at Mandiant Intelligence. Joining me today is fellow Principal Analyst Yi Hao Lim, based out of Singapore, where he works on our intelligence enablement team. Welcome to the podcast, Yi Hao. Thank you, Luke. Thank you for having me on the show. So we did a similar conversation uh, last year with Jens Bonrad, um, our head of uh, threat intelligence in EMEA. Uh, that was well received looking at the threat landscape in that region. And I thought we would repeat that format uh, a little bit and try to focus on uh, this year talking about the threat landscape in Asia Pacific or APAC. This is a topic where I think we, we use the, the, the phrase threat landscape a lot in reports and briefings to kind of provide some sort of narrative and structure around the, the chaos and campaigns and threat activity we see. Uh, that can be very difficult to do with a specific uh, subject uh, in a very specific region or vertical. And today we're going to try to do that for one of the largest regions. So we'll see how this goes. Um, but yeah, let's let's dive into talking about the threat landscape in APAC. I think like any region, uh, it's a mixture of cybercrime, nation state threats, disinformation. Uh, but Ehow, what are some of the characteristics when you think of the types of threats that we're seeing? Uh, and maybe also how those threats have evolved over the years. Right. So uh, APEC is very much like any other regions. Uh, the threats that we see, like you rightly mentioned, it is sim- similarly like uh, towards most of espionage, cybercrime. We see a little bit of hacktivism. And uh, recently we are seeing more of information operations happening. So it also affects all sorts of industries. Um, we see financial sector being uh, highly targeted and Recently, we are also seeing um, heavy industries such as uh, oil and gas that's being targeted by fractors seeking ransomware payments as such. So I would say that the threat landscape is very much driven by mainly geopolitical uh, forces. And in addition to that, there's a lot of people who are still unable to appreciate the, the severity of cybersecurity threats. Um, in Asia Pacific, and actually this is causing uh, some problems right now. However, this is changing already over the years. Um, we are seeing more and more people pay attention to cybersecurity, budget, cybersecurity awareness and stuff. So this is definitely changing. Then you mentioned you know, geopolitics being a driver of threat activity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's certainly something that we see all over the globe. And in addition to threat actors outside of the region that are targeting organizations in the region, um, there's certainly a lot of uh, geopolitical tensions that we see that are impacting the threat landscape that we see in cyberspace. Um, so what do you think some of those things are when I know some of the, the topics that we've written about in the past, for example, have been like the Belt and Road Initiative and how that mm-hmm. shaped some of the cyber threat activity we've seen. What are some examples of, of some of these other drivers that are shaping uh, cyber activity? Right. So uh, one of the biggest things that we see in South, uh, like Southeast Asia, because I'm based in Singapore, right, uh, would be the South China Sea disputes. So these are incidents that has been occurring over like the last maybe eight to 10 years, uh, like ongoing court tribunals being uh, ordered and a lot of disputes over the islands in South China Sea. So these have actually drove many sorts of uh, cyber activity, uh, even among the hacktivists. So we have seen like Chinese hacktivists uh, launch attacks on Filipino websites because it's, the dispute was between China and Philippines and, and vice versa, right? So uh, China, Philippines, Vietnam, Malaysia, Singapore, these are the countries that are actually are coming together to state, uh, state their claims on South China Sea Islands. That is one big overarching theme that I've, see, that I've seen driving cyber attacks. 
Secondly would be uh, the Korean Peninsula issue. So, you know, technically speaking in Korea, the, there's still no truce or end of war yet. You know, uh, there they have been peace talks, but it is not, the war is not over yet. Uh, there's still some sort of hostility between the North and South Korea side. So because of that, there's still a lot of uh, tensions between them and a lot of activity from the North targeting the South that we're continuing to see. Uh, in addition to that, uh, there's also a lot of elections that are happening this year. Uh, in Asia Pacific alone, uh, we have seen Taiwan, Korea hold the elections already. Uh, we are expecting Hong Kong, Indonesia, Singapore, India to hold uh, respective uh, state or national elections uh, later part of this year. And we have always also seen before that elections have led to a lot of uh, information operations activity in that country before. Last but not least, the current COVID-19 uh, issue that we see are also making things very complicated because uh, a lot of uh, management of COVID-19 is linked to uh, government performance and like political judgment, criticism, that kind of thing. So we have seen uh, like Mandate Intelligence have already published something about how uh, Vietnam is actually targeting uh, China's Ministry of Emergency Management, right? Uh, so to, to gain information and insight into how the whole COVID-19 issue is being handled. Yeah, so, so these kind of stuff is driving a lot of activity in Asia Pacific. Now, one of the interesting things I thought that you mentioned there was the activity from not just disinformation from suspected tied to, to nation state organizations, um, as you mentioned, seeing more of that, uh, but some of the longstanding uh, hacktivist activity that you've seen from uh, patriotically motivated hacktivists and mm -hmm. some of the defacements and other activity that they've carried out uh, tied to some of these regions. How do you see that shaping activity in the future as, again, you see particular hotspots even within the, the APAC region? Um, is there the potential for some of that activity to escalate some of those tensions even further, do you think? Yeah, I mean, the, the hacktivists are trying to take things into their own hands and trying to, you know, do something for their country. But maybe because it's not coordinated and because it's like a one man trying to stand out by himself to, to gain attention to himself, he might lead to things getting worse, right? So we we haven't seen uh, specific individuals that stood out yet. It's usually in a group and a in a very uncoordinated manner. But yeah, I, I would expect that if this kind of things continue to escalate, for example, if the COVID issue starts a hacktivism campaign by countries against countries, you know, that might lead to a lot of relations being worsened between countries because uh, it, it is becoming very political at this point. For example, in Singapore, we are seeing this uh, previously earlier in this year, we are seeing the little bit of tension between ourselves and Taiwan because of uh, face mask. And, and it's, it's over uh, some comments made by prominent people over here versus uh, netizens making, making comments about uh, news channels, making comments about people in Singapore. So it's very small things like that that could lead to uh, like a people's uh, heightened attention between countries and even leading to, you know, worsening of relations and stuff. And looking at this more from uh, the government side, um, you know, certainly there's some well-known uh, threat actor sponsors in the region, uh, North Korea, China, etc. Um, do you see sort of changes or trends in how other nations in the region are thinking about uh, developing capabilities or how they're approaching uh, cyber strategies as a whole? I would be surprised if no one approached cyber strategies uh, because I, I, I'm seeing new actors emerge uh, as well. Um, we have seen some activity come out of India uh, recently that is new. 
and uh, we have seen I.O. Uh, that uh, done by Indonesia uh, reported from the open sources. So I, I believe every country is thinking about the cyber thing and it's cyber security has become like either like a new weapon or a new way to defend themselves. So I, I believe a lot of countries are thinking about it right now. It's just that uh, these activities are still untracked or they are still emerging. So we are currently still looking at them as form of attack cluster more than attributing them to a specific country at this point. Now, the other part of the equation when we talk about uh, threat landscape is not just the, the threats themselves, but what does the security posture of organizations look like in the region? Um, and I would imagine, uh, as is the case with, with every region, with every industry even, you see a wide variation of capability and maturity when you look at the different sectors or even looking at different uh, nations, what are some of the, the trends and themes you see in terms of maturity around cybersecurity, how they're approaching this uh, investment into workforces, etc.? Mm. I would say uh, the, the maturity really is a big spectrum of uh, an understanding of cybersecurity and appreciation. But overall, it's definitely uh, improving and definitely uh, people are paying more attention to the cyber defenses because there's been a lot of big hacks that happened in Asia Pacific over the last five years. And these have like raised eyebrows about, oh, wow, we have to defend, we have to protect this. Otherwise, our company's reputation will be affected. So I would say that some of the words that I've seen, the least mature opinions I've heard was like, oh, we only need antivirus to protect ourselves. We don't need anything else. Right now, I'm seeing people ask questions about, hey, uh, why do we need an SIEM solution? Uh, do we need to do threat hunting? How do we use cyber threat intelligence to, to augment whatever services we have? And, you know, like user awareness is also one big thing right now. Uh, a lot of companies are trying to raise awareness of latest phishing attacks and stuff. And there are also more uh, appreciation being given to the fact that threat intelligence is able to let them know what's happening in the threat landscape uh, for that specific industry right now. For example, the, the recent maze ransomware attacks that happened uh, people want to know what's the TTPs. We actually held a very big meeting with India colleagues uh, and clients a few months ago about uh, maze ransomware, and then they were very interested in that as well. So we are, we are seeing more and more attention being given to um, this, uh, this, this cybersecurity segment, and I believe things will improve from here. And do you see a particular interest around certain types of threats? So you mentioned, for example, ransomware certainly become a lot more of interest to a wide variety of organizations uh, in the U.S. and Europe. Nation-state activity has been discussed for quite a long time now in the, in the region. Are there certain areas of threats or certain categories of threats that seem to get more interest and seriousness around addressing them? I would say information operations is something that I'm seeing uh, that is new. Uh, like, like what you rightly mentioned, um, historically, we are seeing a lot of cybercrime threats, uh, credit card leaks, um, nation espionage threats of uh, data exfiltration or, you know, uh, intelligence uh, reconnaissance efforts. And actually, we are seeing um, right now more people paying attention to information operations because I think uh, most people, uh, most governments are aware that uh, the, the impacts of information operations and the threat of foreign interference can be very real. Um, after 2016, uh, US elections and the whole media reporting on, on that episode, so that is one part that I'm seeing uh, a big growth potential and a, and a big part where people uh, need help in al along this region because there's a lot of elections that's happening uh, this year especially. Yeah, so you, you mentioned elections a couple of times now and 
that's some, something that certainly there's a lot that's been written about and discussed um, in terms of, of the threat to elections in the United States, uh, in Europe. Uh, maybe people are a little bit less familiar about uh, threats to elections and historical activity that we've seen in the region there. But some of that has been out in the public. I know we've uh, written about the activity we saw in the 2018 Cambodian election. Uh, so what are some of the things that organizations in the region are thinking about when it comes to election security? Mm-hmm. So uh, because I'm based in Singapore, right? Singapore is actually uh, very, very advanced in, in that form. So Singapore basically already issuing political parties, advisories uh, on the threat of potential foreign interference and potential cyber attacks ahead of the next uh, general election. It is not known when is it going to be yet. Uh, it's expected to be uh, this year, but we are, we are not sure of the exact date. But uh, even prior to that, uh, months ahead, uh, government has already arranged uh, and, and issued advisories for that, for that kind of uh, vigilance. And they're urging parties to take precautions to mitigate such risk because to the, towards the government, right, any form of interference or disruption could lead to a loss of confidence in the country's electoral process. And this is something that uh, could be quite severe for the country itself. And, and they're also aware that this applies not just to the part, political parties itself, not just their websites. It also applies to the electoral boards. It also applies to prominent state-sponsored uh, uh, news channels or you see uh, candidates, Facebook pages or Twitter accounts. All these kind of things are supposed to be beefed up on security, uh, like awareness. And even news sites where it is not government-sponsored, but more like private news sites, uh, they are also expected to uh, report facts. And Singapore government also uh, issued this EOF MA report POFMA basically a law that states uh, states that uh, any false reporting should be highlighted on the website itself uh, to prevent any instances of, uh, of false information or falsehoods or misinformation uh, being spread around. Because uh, right now, uh, as everybody knows, right, like in, in, in countries or in like almost any part of the world right now, everybody has multiple devices to ac- access the internet. And every day we are getting bombarded with information with regards to one topic and the thing that we have to be aware here that, that i see a lot of not just singapore but a lot of people in asia pacific is that uh, uh people do not do cross-referencing of information and a lot of times it is just like uh, easily mis- misled by what they see online so so this law is supposed to to adjust that that threat coming from that angle and and this is like something, uh, yeah, so these are some of the things that the government has prepared in view of the upcoming elections. So it really sounds like you're, you're seeing a um, whole approach to addressing election security threats, uh, not merely looking at disinformation or threats to the election systems and tabulation uh, systems themselves. Uh, it's really kind of that whole approach to look at all aspects of that ecosystem uh, and try to help secure that. Um, is, would that be fair to say? Yes, yes, I mean the 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 ambition is is very broad here. Like they, they want to secure all aspects, not just the misinformation part, but also the cyber perspective as well. Yeah, so yeah, it's a very big mandate that they have over here, and I think other countries would also take take uh, advice or, or follow the lead of of this. And eventually, when uh, their time comes for elections, you know, they would also issue similar mandates or help out uh, organizations or parties that's that's contesting elections to come. 
And you mentioned a lot of different organizations, uh, media organizations and others that are focused around addressing this. Going back, I guess, in general to the topic around public and private partnerships, do you see good models of that uh, in different regions in APAC where uh, there's some good examples of where there's intelligence and data sharing that's going on between the private sector and governments? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, especially between the, the, the big data platforms or social media platforms and governments, I definitely see some sort of uh, collaboration that's happening there, um, especially when it is very, very serious, uh, a very serious case of like negative sentiment or like hate speech or uh, uh, accounts that are inciting violence. You know, this kind of situation happens. Uh, the, the platforms are definitely working closely with governments to take down these accounts and and prior to that, there's definitely some sort of a sharing that's going on between um, the governments and the platforms. Because honestly, right, uh, it's very difficult for the platforms to closely monitor the content that comes out of every single account because there's millions and millions of them. So uh, sometimes it's just not optimum for them to look at every account because they have to run the platform and stuff. So uh, there's, there's some sort of a partnership that's going on on that front. And you see partnerships in other areas of cybersecurity, uh, dealing with nation state cyber espionage, financially motivated crimes. Uh, do you see data sharing that's going on uh, around some of these threats as well? Yeah, I mean, in Singapore, we have a, a financial sector group that uh, shares intel that is specific to finance industries. So there's a there's a group of like uh, I I forgot how many how how many banks are there, but about five to ten banks that are in there. And they hold regular meetings and they share observations that they see in their environment and outside their environment with each other. And so that's very helpful. And I also see uh, crowdsourced platforms coming up. So some of the uh, platforms are just made by people who are passionate about the, the topic and, and other cybersecurity related uh, professionals are invited to join. And in that platform, uh, could be from different industries, people coming from different industries to, to share uh, what they see so there's a lot of sharing that's going on here now which is good because it helps people to gain visibility into what's happening in each other's industry or, or the threat landscape itself so to, to wrap this up uh i'm going to give you i think probably the, the hardest question that any analyst ever gets which is you know that's everything that we're currently seeing um, it's a very good encapsulation i think of where the threats have been where's the threat landscape going what will we see next the exciting thing about the space is it's never static and there's always going to be some change. Uh, so where would you say, you know, along some of the threat, uh, themes and, and trends that we've talked about today, um, how might those change in the future? Mm, well, this is really tough. Uh, uh, I, I would say that right now, the, the biggest trend or theme that I see ongoing forward would be the COVID-related threats. So as, as everybody knows, uh, this, this COVID thing is here to stay. It's, it's not going to go away after two weeks, you know because it's, it's difficult to eradicate in the first place. And a lot of nations are trying to fight for the, the virus to be eradicated from their countries. And at the same time, everyone is trying to seek a vaccine and there's only selected organizations that have the capability to develop their vaccine. So what I would say is, I would definitely see more nation state espionage related uh, attempts on governments that have been successfully dealing with the crisis. So that's number one, to see how other countries can deal with crisis. Number two, I would think would be pharmaceutical companies, medical research companies being targeted because uh, they are supposedly in advanced stages of uh, researching or developing vaccines, maybe reported by the media or something. And then it will lead to a lot of attention to their environment just because they have, you know, uh, they, they have this super 
magic pill that can solve the problem. And I would say other uh, companies that want to do commercial espionage or governments that want to do uh, espionage for their, their own country would, would be interested in that. And third would be even the hacktivist angle or misinformation angle that we are seeing uh, that's related to this overarching theme. We have seen a lot of misinformation already saying that the virus originated from X country, Y country, and, and this is actually uh, engineered in the lab and not uh, evolved by uh, animals to, to humans. That kind of thing happened, uh, leading to a lot of accusations between countries itself and you no know, hacktivists who are very patriotic or, or who wants to stake a claim in this argument would stand out and start to uh, maybe launch DDoS attacks or uh, destruction attacks at one another. And in addition to that, I would also say this post-compromised ransomware and ransomware uh, and naming and shaming method would also be here to stay because uh, it has proven to be very effective when operators such as Maze Ransomware or Re-Evil Ransomware come out and they try to first uh, extort you for money. And if you don't give them money, they will leak your data. And, and that is what is affecting a lot of people right now. Uh, organizations are very sensitive towards, you know, reputational loss. And, and this effort has proven to be quite effective for them. And I think that this trend would also be here to stay for a while longer. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us today, Ehao. Uh, that is Ehao Lim, uh, based out of Singapore. Uh, thank you, Luke. On our Intel enablement team. Thanks again, Ehao. Thank you, Luke.